Jonah chapter 1. And I'll read a handful of verses here. And we'll begin at verse 3. But Jonah arose. He went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was escaping. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. He, he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, hmm, how good God is. He's a good God. Now you, you just think he's good when you get a pay raise, right? You don't think he's good when he takes away your job. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. They cried every man unto his God. Cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And I preach today, his purpose is greater than my storm. Lift up your voice unto the Lord and ask God to open up your heart. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I thank you. If we peel away the layers of the human facade, that thin veneer of good intentions there may very well be an underlying contempt for the wicked. It is reasonable to scorn abusers and users. Our judgment seems proven against people who are simply vile. Gangs and criminal activity, those who take pleasure in mistreating others, bullies, our compassion seems to wane when considering those who game the system or live in open contempt, rebellion toward anything kind or decent. We might, if moved to it, maybe for a moment, pray for their salvation, but when decency has been replaced with abhorrent living, 
even the most loving Christians often dismiss them. But there is something about God. He is beyond our thought. He sees the world as sheep without a shepherd. The depth of his compassion is beyond our understanding. God takes notice of those who curse his name, not as strangers, but as wayward children. He is, after all, the father of creation, and the living soul is the reason for his redemptive blood. And we are not God. We are often fettered by our own limitations and our sight. We are not God. Given all of that, I can only imagine how easy it is for anyone to judge Jonah harshly. The judgment of Jonah can be dismissed among us. Jonah was commanded to go east, but he boarded a boat headed west. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he boarded a boat heading to the coastal region of Spain. He ran, but of course, we know he ran for a reason. It was not without cause. Nineveh was a large city, one of the largest of its time. It was filled with those people, abhorrent living. Those are the people who were brutal against the criminal and those who they had conquered. These Assyrians sought retribution even for the slightest infraction. They tormented and tortured the already oppressed. All semblance of compassion was buried in the darkened shadows of malice, swallowed by vengeance without remedy. Nineveh was an ancient metropolis, unique in its own time. The population almost 100,000, boasting of wealth and opulence, all of it leading to sinful practices and corruption. It has been said that Jonah probably had people there or folks he knew or loved ones tortured and murdered whatever the case Jonah wanted no part of their possible redemption howbeit unlikely his was a feeble plan to run the other way it will become apparent however that he knows that there is really no escape from the call of God upon his life ladies and gentlemen if God calls you to something you'll always be bothered until he you fulfill the call there is no escape. In fact, the Bible says the gifts and calling of God without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. We do know that the aggregation of atrocities levied against the people of Nineveh was enough for any righteous man to reject. We might also do the same. But God saw a different picture. Jonah considered their history, but God considered their eternity. Their vicious treatment of prisoners, their bloodthirst, afflicting pain on what could only be considered petty crimes. Nineveh, these Assyrians, were full of gods and godless at the same time. While I won't labor on the historical account, it is important to note that there was a clear reason why Jonah had no desire to preach repentance in that place. The Assyrians had done so much harm to so many people for such a long period of time. People of Israel had suffered under their heavy hand of affliction, wars, battles, blood, reaching back through the decades of time. Jonah was rejecting their opportunity. And besides, personal vendettas are towering walls, not easily traversed by any one of us.
To his credit, however, Jonah knew that if he preached repentance and if they obeyed the preached word, he knew how it would end. He knew that God would forgive them. Think about that. While the jury was out on Nineveh's response, Jonah understood the nature of his God. We find Jonah running. We see him running away. He looks like nothing more than a rebellious preacher. But he is a prophet of the Lord God Almighty. And God speaks to him. He wrote so. God has called him and Jonah has come to the understanding of the nature of his God. And he could not take the chance that God's nature would have a chance to shine. (laughs) He ran because he was afraid that God would end up being God. Can I just pause and say to somebody, if you ever allow God to be God, he'll go beyond what you can imagine. He's greater than you ever thought. I stand to say, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. If this house ever let God be in charge and God be God, he'll do things you could only imagine and things you cannot imagine. He's greater than your thoughts. He's greater than your ability. If God arise... Yes, 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 yes. And sure enough, and much to Jonah's regret, can you imagine? Much to his regret, those wicked, abhorrent people of Nineveh heard his minimal and abrasive sermon, repent or die. He was upset that they heard it And obeyed it. He was not happy. That he preached. And they did what he said. If I walked in this pulpit. Angry. An angry elf. (laughs) Bitter little man. And I told you to repent or die. Some of you would wonder. Perhaps pastor should go back to his office and get a good sermon and bring it back to us. He hasn't been spending any time in study. Perhaps some of you would say, yes, it may be true, but I don't like the way you present it. Have you ever heard the Disney song, a spoonful of, men- of sugar helps the medicine? Get him some sugar. Some would say, I know who the pastor was talking about today. couple people clearing their throat no reason to some of you would say we're never going to attract any new members with that kind of presentation can you imagine I can't hardly imagine preaching a sermon and everybody obeying the word But worse still, being angry. Jonah preached 40 days and this city is going to be turned upside down. To which they fell on their face, called a citywide fast, cried out in repentance. And in response to that, Jonah said to God, I fled before thee unto Tarshish for I knew that thou wert a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you had great, great kindness. 
kindness. I knew that you would turn away from the evil. I knew that you would have mercy on them. I knew what kind of savior you were. (laughs) So whatever is said of Jonah, there was an assurance, ladies and gentlemen, about the disposition of a God who embraces the repented heart. He was certain that if they turned to God, God would turn to them. The prophet Zechariah wrote it true. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Just so you know who's talking. And it was, and it is God's standard practice. If you turn to him, he will always turn to you. A broken spirit, a humble disposition, godly sorrow, a contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise. God always leans into the contrite heart. That is why, while those men struggled in the storm on their way to the coastal plains of Spain, and as they battled that tempest, that is why Jonah did not strive like the others. That is why he took his bed in the underbelly of that boat and slept like a baby, while those seaworthy men, familiar with their open waters, toiled and fought for their very lives. They were fighting the tempest, a great wind, the Bible says. Their ship at the break point. The planks were cracking under the waves of that torrent sea. It was breaking apart before their very eyes, and there was nothing they could do about it but pray. Their cause for travel, all their goods and merchandise, will find its way to the bottom of the ocean's floor, for they threw it overboard, their cargo now sinking before them. The Bible calls it their wares. And when there was nothing left to cast aside, they cried unto the gods of the sky, and the gods of wood and of stone and of earth, and none of it worked. Fear has gripped them. The sea awaits them. The tempest has stripped them of their confidence even more than their goods. And while I know that it might be difficult to imagine all of us sitting right here in this comfort of this room just reading the scripture, make no mistake. The picture has been painted in shades of certain death. The unrelenting sea is not a place to fight. No man can withstand the wave. Every one of them is in panic. All of them fighting for their existence. They are full of anxiety and terror. All of them. They will toil through the night. They will throw their cargo now overboard. They know these waters. They are mariners that believe this to be the end of their life. Everyone is fearful. Everyone. Everyone except that guy sleeping in the bottom of their boat. And he was fast asleep. The rocking of the ship. It was like a Serta perfect sleeper. Just rocking him. And while they fought for their life, he was basking in dream world. Warm falafel. I'll read it to you. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. Maybe your God will help us. Here's the question. How can you sleep in the middle of the storm? I have the answer for all of you, ladies and gentlemen. The call is always greater than the trouble. And while those mariners worked their ropes and trimmed their sails, while they blistered their hands in a feeble attempt to steer away from the next crashing wave, all of them colliding in futility, Jonah knew that if God wanted them to go to Nineveh, he was not going down in the storm. Yes, he was running, but the answer is that Jonah's God was ready to hand out grace to a wicked city and trouble 
has never stopped the cause of the kingdom. And while Jonah was an unrelenting participant, a reluctant preacher, if you will, there was still an assurance. I'm not going down in this tempest because his purpose is greater than my storm. His purpose is greater than my storm. Here's the word of the Lord for your life. You'll need it from this moment until the sound of the final trumpet. You'll find peace when you come to know his nature. Peace is connected to the Holy Spirit. People who know the Lord find comfort in the mess because they become familiar with the depth of his nature. Jonah said as much. He said it. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew that you were full of mercy, abounding and overflowing mercy. I knew that you were slow to anger and of great kindness and that you would forgive if they would repent. And the reason why so many people today are living in fear after they have been born again is because they have not moved from birth into living Perfect love cast without fear. Perfect love is the banishment of self-destruction. I wish you could hear it. Church membership is a good thing. You need it to be established. You need to be planted. But function will never replace relationship. This isn't about me and you. This isn't about you and you. This is about you and your God. And I wonder if you know who your God is. Fear happens when you believe the report of the enemy. Fear occurs when you think that the storm and the trouble is greater than what your call of God. And you think that the storm is in control. You very well may be living in fear because you paused at the point of introduction to him, but you've not made it into relationship with him. It's in knowing him firsthand where you find the revelation of who he is. I can tell you who he is from my point of view, but it's a biased point of view. You have to know him for yourself. I'm grateful for the prophetic revelation. If you've been reading your one-year Bible with me, you know we're in the book of Revelation now. I'm a little bit ahead. So before I came to church in this wonderful atmosphere, I read of the seven vials that the angels are going to pour out. It kind of scared me. I'm grateful for the prophetic revelation. We need to know it. If there was ever a time to be familiar with end time prophecy, now is the time. Don't be oblivious to the end of time. You're at the end of time. But just above the knowledge of the end time prophetic is the revelation of who Jesus is. Oh my, my. The difference is not the trial. You're not alone. You're not the first person to go through that trial. You're not the first people that ever gone through trouble. You're not the only one who has ever gone through it or will go through it. Everyone has experienced trial. No one is exempt from struggle. No matter what anyone looks like in this building, regardless of how you think they are put together. To date, no one has lived void of the tempest. Life will always be contrary and perhaps much more for the believer. Mm -hmm. the early church was beaten with rods they were stoned because they were believers they were they were examined think of this they were examined by scourging go look it up in your bible they were left destitute and hungry they were hanged they were burned they were boiled in oil they were thrust through with a sword bleeding out on the ground 
We have not even come close to that cost. But they had an assurance. They had peace. And the reason is clear. Because the kingdom was always greater than the trial. Peace comes when you realize that God is in control. The doctors aren't in control. The governments aren't in control. Sickness is not in control. Pandemics are not in control. God is in control. I'm thankful for the doctors. I'd like to have a few more in the church. I'm thankful for the medical personnel. I want to have more nurses and practitioners in the church. Thank you. I love you. Do everything you can to help me. And I'm thankful for the medicine and the technologies that we have. But they're not in control. And government's not in control. And money is not in control. And principalities and powers. But God is in control. Hey, your ship might be tossed and the waves might be contrary, but you just get a pillow and you go to sleep because God is in control of the chaos. I'll tell you what you've done. You've been watching so much news that it has generated a fear and a deep-seated doubt that God is even in existence. I want to tell you right now, God is God. He's more powerful today than you could ever imagine. He's never lost control. He's never gone to bed. He can hear you. He knows what's going on. And I submit, brother, that it was the Lord who sent the storm. He didn't wake up one day and say, ooh, there's trouble coming in the world. No, I think, he, I think he had it on his calendar in the eternity, in the realm of the heavenlies. That's the day I'm going to shut down the world. I'm going to call my church into a personal relationship. I'm going I'm to teach them how to know me inside and outside. I'm going to show the whole world, this is my world. This is my book. This is my calendar. Yay. I wish somebody to help me right now. You got peace that you haven't even tapped into. Doubt is not of God. Fear is not of God. His purpose is greater than my storm. There are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three often mirror one another. They all begin with his natural birth. The book of John begins at the beginning. In the beginning was the word, logos. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can we have Bible study? Is that okay, Bible study? Take a note, man. Take a note for your husband, sister. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them see the same picture, but they're seeing it from a different point of view. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all of them are going to draw out the image of the finality of the world and of the purpose of Jesus Christ and the reason for his coming and of all of us. But in this particular picture, it's not always a commonplace to look because to the casual Bible reader, 
It doesn't appear to be the image, like a type. The possessed man from Gadara. The Bible says he was healed by the Lord, but he looks like, in his story, looks like just another line in a litany of the miracles of Jesus. But look closely. Jesus steps out of a boat onto the shore of Gadara, and a man possessed runs to meet the Lord. The Bible says that he is possessed with a legion of demons, thousands of them. They have overtaken him, and he is often found in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. They've tried to bind him up, but they cannot. He breaks them. It is a demonic supernatural power. And then Jesus steps out of the boat, and those demonic spirits recognize the Ancient of Days. And then that man runs to the Lord. He falls down on his knees in submission. Think with me now. There is no evidence that those spirits could have consumed the man without his invitation. Demonic possession always comes by way of an open door. The man is the image of mankind. Men and women of all ages, times, dispensations, they have allowed the enemy access through their own lust. The world has opened the door to the enemy of their soul and he has walked in uninhibited. We see that today, of course. It's been throughout all the ages in different forms and mediums. I know that we think of oppression and possession as someone foaming at the mouth and eyes sunk back in their eyes, in their head. But the world is yet bound by pride. Oh. They're not foaming at the mouth, but they're bound by pride. So many are held hostage by greed, tormented by insatiable lust. Mankind, the lost sheep, the blinded man, stumbling in darkness toward an eternal judgment. The human condition is bound without the Lord. But then suddenly... Precious Lamb of God takes center stage. He is the rescuer, the healer, the deliverer, born of a virgin. Emmanuel, God, is one of us. And the fullness of the Godhead dwells now in Jesus. Fully God, fully man, the kinsman redeemer, the sacrifice for the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And in that moment, captured on the eastern shore of Galilee, Jesus will both cast out the legion of demons and heal the tormented man. It is the image of a world redemption from the chains of oppression, sickness, and sin. And that nameless man, now set free, will be found sitting and clothed and in his right mind. He's sitting... That's a physical healing. He's clothed. He is morally healed. And he is the right, he's in his right mind. That's mental healing. Jesus heals it all. That's right. Jesus said it this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was his purpose and it happened in real time in a small region of a place called Gadara. The demons recognized him and worshipped him. 
The man was delivered. Satan was cast down. Hell fell at his feet. Dominion was in his hand. The voice of the ages set the captive free. That is what will happen at the end of all time. Every knee is going to bow. The Bible says of things under the earth. The final blow will be made against Satan's head. It's a prophetic word from Genesis 3. He shall bruise thy head. All of it displayed on the shores of Gadara, the city on the other side of the sea. That was his purpose. His purpose was on the eastern shore. But to get to his purpose, he had to pass through the storm. Gadara is in Mark 5. But to get to Mark 5, you got to go through Mark 4. Mark chapter 5 was his purpose, but Mark chapter 4 was the storm, and I'll read it to you. Mark 4, 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, full of what? Water. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they wake him and say to him, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus was sleeping in the boat because his purpose was greater than the storm. And I preach today, the storm may be part of your trial, but your purpose is greater than your trial. And when you come to believe that the Lord has called you and that he's in control, then you can live in peace while other people are struggling. I know this. I'm feeling it. People are panicked. This is uncertain times. This, these are times that we're not familiar with. Even world wars haven't caused this much chaos around the entire globe. But for the saints of God that have a relationship with the Lord, you have an assurance. God's going to bring you through. He sent this. You can have assurance and a peace that God is going to bring you through. We rest on the word even though the world is shifting and changing. And Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he said, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is going to keep your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God is going to keep your emotions and it's going to keep your thoughts. It is the knowledge that God has called you. He called you at this time in history, in this place, to reach the lost, to teach the gospel and to be a light. Look, there's only two positions on that boat. It's either fighting what cannot be fought. I wonder how many of you are doing this. Fighting what cannot be fought. Or resting in the knowledge that God's purpose is greater than your present conflict. You choose, ladies and gentlemen. Live in fear or live in peace. If you live in fear, you'll wake up afraid. You'll go to places, sites, information that'll dump in more fear into your life. Or you can say, I'm a child of God. I have a relationship with God. I'm going to live in peace. The storm may be big, but I'm going to get down. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to rest. I'm going to have peace. God is with me. He's going to bring us through. And I say, if the Lord has called you to a work, pray that God would do that. 
he'll carry you to it and through it. If he deemed and determined your path, he's able to finish that and perform it. Here's Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. But the grinding, fearful, doubting person is far from the knowledge of who God is and what he gives. Even at the close of it all, Jesus said as much to his entirety of his disciples and those who followed him. He said, peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, I give you. Let not your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Those were the closing words of the Lord. Don't you know what the Lord has given you? He's given you something greater. The Holy Ghost is more than you think. Yes, it is the infilling of the Spirit. But the Holy Ghost, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, well, let me just act like the pastor. You should be praying in the Holy Ghost at home. Because if you're waiting to come to church to pray in the Spirit, you're going to be dry and empty. And when you get dry... You become the right kind of ground for the devil to make habitation. Because the Bible said the spirit goes out in search of dry places. If you're waiting to have a worship time here, you're dry. You should be worshiping God in your car. I can remember pulling over. How many times have we pulled over? Because we were crying and praising and worshiping God in our car. We couldn't even see. What happened to worship time in your car? I wish the police officers would pull up next to you and say, are you all right? I wish they would think you were drunk. Well, maybe not. But I wish that you would just do it. I wish you'd get in your house and walk down your hallways and get in your kitchen and say, Lord, you're good. And just tell him how good he is until the Spirit took over. But instead, I'm afraid, instead of entertaining the glory of God, you've been entertaining the television. Oh, man, I'm sorry. See, Jonah, I don't know if this is going to work. It's probably not working. I'll just do it. Repent or die. Please. No. Better get right or you're going to be dry. And when you get dry, fear has a great place to make up, make shop. Fear is going to build its home all in your life. I say to the precious saints of God, rise up right now. God is in control. Say, my peace is in the Lord. I've got the Holy Ghost. Can you hear the pastor preach? When you're walking in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost and led of the Spirit, you should be talking about what he gives and you should understand what's missing. Fear is missing. Doubt is missing. All that toil and struggle and bewilderment is missing because when you've got it, you know what it is. And Isaiah prophesied about it. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, that's the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you will cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing I wonder how much time you spend online reading articles that are not of God and cause you great duress I wonder how much time you've been spending in front of your mediums thinking and ingesting things that are causing you conflict when you really ought to be 
or you ought to stop fighting the things that cannot be fought and you cuddle up with a warm blanket and you say you know what Lord you're in control you're in control I know who you are and my purpose that you've given me is greater than the mess and the problems that we're going through right now hear me the church is greater than this government this house is greater than all the governments the Holy Ghost is greater than all the spirits in the world his purpose is greater than our storm his call is greater than my trouble But watch what the disciples do. These are men who've walked with Jesus. So I'm not going to stand here and pretend that even disciples of the Lord can get it right every time. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. I have faith in that. I believe that. But even the best followers often are caught. And they're found. Throwing things overboard. Fearing for their life. Asking God. Do you care? Where are you? I'm going to tell you where he's at. He's on his timeline, closing the pages, getting to the very end. He's moving the hands of the clock right towards midnight. He's in control. He knows what's going on. I want to tell you right now, you ought to take assurance. God is in control. The Lord is in control. And his purpose is greater than all this. Come help me. Oh yes, I got peace right now. I'm going to work on peace. And I say this of those men because it's easy for me to judge them also. Disciples, fishermen, familiar with the Sea of Galilee, fighting the wind. And if truth be known, they were losing they were beating back the storm and they were losing. Because you always lose when you fight the thing that brings you to your purpose. And for the life of them, they could not wrap their minds around the fact that while they were on the verge of drowning, losing their life, that the Lord was in the back of the boat asleep, had a pillow under his head, it's almost as if he planned to rest. I don't know what storm you're going through or what will come your way or what will come our way. Lord knows we've all had enough in our life. We know that God has brought us through enough to say that the Lord is good, but I do know that I'm searching for peace. And if the trouble in our world or in your life, in your family, in your home, in your health does not subside, I want you to know God is in control. He's in control. He didn't leave you. He's not blind or indifferent to your cause. When you have chaos in your home, things are falling apart. I want you to know God's still a good God. And if you'll keep your relationship with the Lord strong and know him, you'll come to find out his nature is to keep you in perfect peace. He left us something. He said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the comforter. Then he said, I'm going to come to you. 
And the comforter is going to give you peace. Not as the world gives. Because the peace that the world gives is temporal. The peace that the world gives is what we're all putting up. On our homes and our stores and painting on windows. Peace on earth. Peace. Holiday peace, they write. They don't know anything about peace. I'm going to tell you where peace comes from. It comes from the Holy Ghost. And when you exercise that, God gives you peace. Yes. Yes. And I pray right now for all of us today. I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Put your peace in this house, Lord. I can't rebuke the wind. I can't calm the storm, Lord. But I'm looking for the Prince of Peace in my life. I'm looking for you right now, Lord. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. Come on, somebody reach out to God right now. My faith is in you. I know that things may be chaotic right now in our world. But your purpose for this house and for my life, it's greater than all the mess and the trouble and the trial and the conflict. I thank you, Lord, for it. I thank you. You're bringing us somewhere. You're going to bring us to the redemption and an end time revival. You're bringing us into the other side of the shore. Yay! Come on right now, reach out to God and lift up your hands to the Lord and call on God. He's here right now.